Hello, welcome to the Sweeper Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hole. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How are we doing? Um, yeah, happy that it's a new year. Yeah. Uh, happy to talk about football. Let's just avoid the elephant in the room for the time being, shall we? Yeah. The massive elephant in the room. We've got a fair way to go for that, haven't we? Because we're doing it a little bit differently today, aren't we? So we're, we thought we'd give you a little bit of a roundup of the last couple of weeks. So we've obviously been away doing different things, but the football has still happened and lots of football's happened and possibly too much to break down individually. So we're going to go through the league team by team and just give them a quick roundup of what's happened over the festive period. It's a bit like a uh, sort of half-year parents even it isn't is it? a little way yeah. where you you go in and you find out how you how your young boy or your young girl's done yes um and i think we're we're gonna kick off with manchester city aren't we and if i was their parents i'd be very very happy i would be proud and pleased as punch of them but yes they've had a very good festive period um but there was almost a little shock in there wasn't there so they beat bournemouth 4-0 and newcastle away 1-0 and also beat Watford at home, but there was a draw away at Crystal Palace. Oh, that? not an away point in the Premier League. How well, terrible. There is that. However, it could have all been so different, couldn't it, right at the end when uh, Milivojevic missed a last-minute penalty or Edison saved it, but he made it quite easy for him to save, didn't he, really? Yeah, there's been quite a lot of controversy surrounding Crystal Palace and penalties this season. If it's not Benteke taking him when he shouldn't have been, then it's uh, Zahar getting pulled up for diving when yeah. I think it probably was a clear push. Um, I know that he... He does like to go over quite theatrically, and um, but yeah, they 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 could have they could have lost that that unbeaten record, which obviously still stands, and I think that's massive for them because I think performances in the last few weeks, or even going back about a month, haven't been as good as they had been all season, and um, it just sort of gives them that extra bit of focus, knowing that it could have disappeared in in an instant there, and 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 they've managed to keep hold of it. So they've had an amazing first half of the season, and and we say it every week, we run out of superlatives to. To, to talk about them and um, one thing that we're going to do as we go through each club is we're going to try and sum each team's season up in uh, in one word and we'll come on to theirs in a second but you can't really argue with, with anything that Guardiola's done really so far this season, any decision that he's made and um, I think the key thing for him going into the second half of the season is the fitness of the players that he's got in his squad, especially following that Palace game. Yeah, absolutely. There's a big injury to uh, Gabriel Jesus, who's uh, out for a couple of months. And to be honest with you, it doesn't leave them top-heavy, does it, really? Because they've got Aguero and him, and obviously they let Iheanacho go in the summer, and you know they've got a lot of support in behind them. But in terms of central strikers, they're, they're lacking, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's it's one of these where you could look at it one or two ways. You could either look at it that they will struggle if Aguero's injured, which is probably a natural way to look at it. But then Manchester City often play without a recognised central striker anyway. And you look at the amount of goals that Sterling, Sane um, and David Silva have managed to get this season. And you think that if they... If if you look at one team in the Premier League who who might not struggle to shuffle the pack a yeah. little bit and have somebody else up there, it would it would probably be them. Um, and also, it's who do they bring in? Because realistically, if you want to go out and buy a striker to compete with the likes of Jesus and Aguero, um, you're probably only going to need him for a couple of months when Jesus is back. And um, to get somebody of that caliber and quality, you're looking at fifty million. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one so I'd be surprised if they went out and splashed that much cash you might see them bring in the, the likes of someone like not a similar style of player but the way that Lorente went from Swansea to uh, to Tottenham just to sort of add a little bit of strength in depth yeah I think also it's important to note that obviously it's a World Cup year so there's going to be people looking for potential six month loan moves and things like that as well so yeah I think it's going to be interesting one to see if they do do any business but as you say I don't think it's necessarily needed but in terms of that word to sum up Manchester City as we say, we've run out of superlatives, so I think we could have gone for maybe 20 words, but <laughs> but I, I would say they've been delicious this year. They have. They've been great to watch yes. in uh, in every single game, and um, you wouldn't be surprised if the league wrapped up in sort of March, would you? Because no. they're, uh, I think they're 15 points ahead now. And that's it. It's obviously been uh, that the Leeds not really been helped by Manchester United from their perspective. Um They've not had the best of festive periods, have they? They've had three draws against Leicester, including conceding the goal in the last minute. Burnley, where they themselves needed a goal in the last minute. And a nil-nil draw at home to Southampton, who we will, of course, come on to a little later on. 
but it was an impressive win uh, last night against Everton, 2 0 away. And, you know, Manchester United will be absolutely gutted they haven't picked up those points. And Chelsea are playing tonight while we're recording. And if they win, they could actually go ahead of Manchester United. Yeah, we talk so much about the importance of, uh, of a good Christmas period. And this really hasn't been one for Manchester United. You look at those games really against Burnley and Leicester I think that's where you've got to look at it because if Harry Maguire doesn't score the last minute equaliser for Leicester against Manchester United then you would have thought that they would have a a lot more confidence going into the other games I think that it probably took a bit of a knock and and Mourinho's got to take some responsibility because the teams that he put out were questionable Um, he, he shuffled the pack a little bit in positions that you would imagine pick themselves and um, he said himself that he felt that there was too much pressure on Lukaku and they couldn't rest him well he got injured the first game that he doesn't play and they win 2-0 away at Everton and you looked at the the freedom that the likes of Martial and, and Lingard had up front and the way that Pogba was able to pull the strings with those in front of him and you just wonder whether they could have possibly dropped him prior to then do you think he's doing the old trick of messing around a little bit so he gets a little bit of money to spend I think he'll get money to spend, but I think he's got to be careful about the way he goes about it. The the comments that he's made recently to the press about the the fact that he's miles off in terms of spending. Well, he spent almost three hundred million on a squad which um, aren't competing really on on any level. Um, they've been knocked out of the league cup by Bristol City. Yes, you might say that that was a weakened team. They're not really pulling up any trees in the Champions League. They've been beaten by teams that you would expect them to beat, um, and. They're miles behind in the league already and I think it's Mourinho just trying to deflect away from the issues that he's having because you take a step back and you look at this club who have always aspired to be top of the league and they're a long way away from that. And I think that it could be another one with Mourinho where he doesn't last his contract at a club. Um, I think that unless something drastically changes over the next five or six months and and you struggle to see that happening, um, then he may well go in the summer and I, that would be a massive call from the United board but I think Mourinho's making a bit of a an issue out of this spending and, and it might not be too much longer before they sort of say well actually we're not going to give you any more money because of the amount that you've spent you look at the, the outlay on players like Pogba and Lukaku and um, yes City have spent a lot as well but I think the difference is City have spent well on players who you would expect to be able to slot into that sort of team yeah. with United it's almost like round pegs in square holes absolutely and I think you only have to look at some of the plus points for them this season you know Jesse Lingard's scoring goals on a regular basis now and he's a a very much a homegrown player within the the kind of Manchester United ethos but even Ashley Young Phil Jones have impressed and you know they're kind of staples within that squad and then they're nothing to do with Mourinho in terms of signings and you know they've been rescued by David De Gea on a number of occasions this year as well and if he were to leave then they would have a massive hole at the back there. That's very true and what's the one word to sum up the first half of their season? Um, Typically disappointing. Um, I, I was expecting a lot more from them this season. I thought Mourinho would have his feet under the table and you'd have the likes of Pogba and obviously Lukaku firing all cylinders and yeah for me they have been very disappointing. Absolutely. A team that's sort of had a bit of a strange season so far is Chelsea and yeah. um, they're obviously breathing down United's necks at the moment. Like you said previously, they could go above them tonight and um, looking at the way that Arsenal have defended of late, that wouldn't really surprise you. Um, <laughs> and in terms of their sort of Christmas period, they've obviously had some winnable fixtures and um, <laughs> they drew nil-nil at Everton, which you could see at that point the the sort of disgust on, on Conte's face because I think there was a lot of players there who could have done more in that game. And then um, obviously they've beaten Brighton comfortably stoke they beat 5-0 and then I suppose their festive period really hinges on tonight's result because if they go to the Emirates and win then um, 9 points 10 points out of 12 is a decent return given who you're playing Uh, if they they lose or or draw that game I think Conte will probably look back on it and um, not not take a huge amount of positives really yeah I think it's going to be interesting to see if they do any business in the transfer window I've said on a number of occasions this season so far that they they don't have a lot of strength and depth and you know we've seen Morata and Hazard miss a few games this season and they've been by and large the two players lighting the spark for them and you just wonder whether they need to go and spend some money just to elevate themselves a little bit more in, in case they get those injuries. Yeah I mean it's a difficult one because when you look at um, Batshuayi uh, he's never really come in and done a huge amount unless Chelsea are playing Watford <laughs> um, and you thought when they signed him because they were able to beat teams who were very keen on signing him you would have thought that 
they would have played him more. Yeah. And um, Morata has been injured on a couple of occasions, and Batshuayi hasn't come in to replace him. So I would have thought if they're going to make any signings, they've got to get rid first because yeah. they've 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 got some players in positions who just aren't playing. Um, they did something that we haven't seen them do before at the start of the season, which was send a lot of players out on loan to English Premier League clubs. And um, maybe they need to do something in 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 January along the same lines because they've got too many players in certain positions but they're not enough in others and I think that's where Conte does feel that he's been let down a bit the the, the Virgil van Dijk transfer is, is a perfect example of it and, and Conte went to the board and asked them to sign van Dijk and they weren't willing to put the funds up and you would have thought if they'd have got rid of David Luiz and got 30 million for him then that makes the Van Dijk signing a lot more affordable and you just wonder whether they're sort of holding off until the end of the season knowing full well that Conte may, may be going. I think also as well you know, that relationship with Conte probably isn't helped by the fact that he is very openly not playing certain players. You know, Batshuayi probably isn't playing because Conte doesn't like him. He's done the same with David Luiz and he will do the same with a number of other players as well and perhaps they're looking at him saying well actually you've got these players but you're not playing them so why should we pay more money for players you know that are good enough to play for this club but you're not playing yeah yeah absolutely i mean there's no point in in bringing players in if they're just going to sit on the bench because you're paying them wages you spent a transfer fee on them and um there's money to spend there surely you look at the the money oh, that they've just got in from, yeah. from the diego costa deal and also the amount of money that they will have from being in the champions league year in year out it's it's one of these things that it could almost make or break their season. It wouldn't surprise me if they just stuck with the squad that they've got at the moment um, because knowing that Conte can take them to second or third, they know they're not going to win the league this season. Yeah, Most important thing is the Champions League um, as far as Chelsea are concerned. And if they can make some inroads in that, then I think they'll be happy. The one word to, to sum up their season, I think you've picked a good one here, tempestuous. Yes, I think Conte uh, is, is the main reason for that, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, tempestuous they are and... We then move on to Liverpool in fourth place. And I, I'm not sure many necessarily saw that at the start of the season in, in terms of how they were going to play through the through the season with this kind of new style that they have of swashbuckling football, whether it was going to work for them. And we've obviously seen on a number of occasions this season that defensively they still have problems and, and they probably will continue to have problems. Yeah, I think the Van Dyke signing's massive for yes. them. We've talked about it throughout the season how they, they um obviously went in for him in the summer and didn't get him and I think that they've they've done the right thing. I think they've paid too much for him, but I think that that's modern football. I don't think there's too much point in um going into it too much. That's um just one of those things. And you'll take it though, won't you? Oh massively, yeah. <laughs> but only if it gets reinvested yeah, in the squad. Yeah. Um the the issue that Liverpool have, and, and it's something that we talked about a couple of times in the early weeks of the season, I don't necessarily think it comes down to the centre-halves and the quality that they have. I think it's down to the players that um, Klopp plays in front of them and the attacking style that they have. Jordan Henderson, uh, Genie Wijnaldum, um, Emre Chan, they're not defensively good enough and they're very good at pushing up and supporting the attack, but they leave gaps in behind, which is where Liverpool have often conceded. And Yes, they're bringing Naby Keita in, but not until the end of the season. And I'm not sure that he will do. I think he does the same that as job either. No, yeah. exactly. So, great signing in Van Dyke, but unless they shore up that central midfield position, I still think they've got a long way to go. Well, on the pitch, they've been involved in one of the games of the season, drawing three or Arsenal in a game that was probably the most obvious example of two sides' frailties, really. Um, and then alongside that, there's uh, a stunning away win against Burnley with a last-minute goal, and you know that. They've looked fantastic from that perspective. Um, yeah, you just—it's that consistency that you want from Liverpool, isn't it? And obviously, they've—they've they've had Salah starring in every single game, with the exception of the last one. And you just wonder whether you know you take him out the side or he has a dip in form. Whether there's going to be any difference there as well? Possibly. I think that Mane coming back into form in the last couple of games games has been key for them and also the return of Lalana has come at the right time because it takes a bit of pressure off Salah um, Firmino's done a great job as central striker for them this season I think that's the only way that you can really describe his position um, and the issue that they may have is um, if they lose that attacking support from one of those wide players you would have thought that they'd have enough there to keep going the problem position for Liverpool as well as what we've already mentioned um, in, in front of the back four is uh, is goalkeeper and they they continue to shuffle the pack and it's almost like every time Klopp makes a decision to change that position something happens um 
you would have thought that the goalkeepers would have benefited from consistency and playing week in, week out. I would understand changing them for the cup games, but I think when it comes to the league games, he either needs to pick one of them or he needs to get rid of one of them and bring in a better keeper. Yes, there's uh, obviously been a lot of talk of Philippe Coutinho as well. Um, do you think he stays? I really hope he goes. <laughs> it would give me so much joy. No, I, I, I'm... I'm joking. I think that it's a really tough one. No, no, I, I am an eye out because I, for me, I want to see the best players in the Premier League, and I think he's he's one of the best players in the world. And it's it's disappointing when the league isn't good enough to hold on to them anymore. Um, what I don't appreciate is the way that Liverpool fans seem to have this, um, way that they believe that Barcelona are completely in the wrong for tapping Coutinho up yeah. behind Liverpool's back. Well. If you look at the way that they dealt with the Van Dijk situation, I don't think they should be talking about that. I think that they should, if they want to keep him, they keep him. At the end of the day, he's signed a contract. They don't have to accept a bid for him. So, um, if if he goes, it, it will only be down to them. One word to sum up the first half of the season: Liverpool esque. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's just non-stop Liverpool, isn't it, with them? But uh, you know, three points separate Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester United, and it's going to be a really, really good. Uh, second half of the season and a battle to see who finishes in the Champions League and obviously we can't forget Spurs no absolutely not and I think that they almost did go under the radar for a little while we were talking about the uh, the struggles that they'd have playing at Wembley and they seem to have managed to turn that round I know that they haven't won as many games as they might have liked at Wembley but to be where they are in the league at the moment to have the top scorer in the league um, and to have a squad that Alderweire on the side is pretty much free of injury now Wanyama and Dembele have both come back um, they've obviously got Sanchez at the back who's who's filled in well um, and I think that Pochettino will probably look to bring in one or two in January but Lorente's looked like an able deputy to Kane in the games yeah. that he's played as well and we weren't sure about that earlier on in the season we thought that the difference in style wouldn't necessarily suit Tottenham um, I think that they'll be they'll be pleased with the with the festive period I think that the next step for them is getting Danny Rose out and um, possibly using some of those transfer funds to strengthen in the in the positions that Pochettino sees sees fit. Well, that's it. After uh, being put to the sword by Manchester City in mid-December, they bounced back with uh, a stunning away win at Burnley with a Harry Kane hat-trick and a big 5-2 win at home to Southampton with a Harry Kane hat-trick. And... Uh, yeah, that, Most... sorry, I was just going to say that that completely ruined Boxing Day for me. <laughs> I, I love Boxing Day football, and when I saw that the FA had decided to put us on at half past twelve, um, yeah, it literally ruined everything. Apologies for that, mate. Oh, it's not it's not your fault. <laughs> but no, second hat trick in a week, and uh, he's fifty six goals in all competitions in two thousand seventeen, makes him the top scorer in Europe for the year. It's bonkers, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's literally more than most Premier League teams he scored <laughs> exactly, as well um, yeah. in the bottom half, anyway. Exactly, and one word to sum up their first half of the season. I, I I went with intriguing because I think we, you know, as we've spoken about the problems that they've kind of had at Wembley, and we weren't really sure what Spurs we were going to get, and I still don't really know what Spurs we're going to get. No, I'm really excited about their uh, Champions League tie yes. with Juventus. That's going to be amazing, and um, I think it's 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 games like that that those those guys should just be able to look forward to and enjoy because really they've got nothing to lose the expectations are low and um, yeah you wouldn't be surprised to see them in the top four again despite the, the difficulties that they've had early in the season not at all and if they do get in the top four it's likely to be at the expense of Arsenal and after that draw with Liverpool they showed great character to beat Crystal Palace 3-2 at Salas Park but they followed that up with a, a one-all draw at the Hawthorns and it was disappointing however it's possibly one of the worst penalty decisions I've ever seen Mike Dean yeah Mike Dean just uh pantomime villain isn't he really well, yeah just just making it all about him as yes. uh as usual and it's not often that that as a neutral you agree with Arsene Wenger's summary of games because he does tend to hide behind refereeing decisions but yeah that one was a was a pretty bad one wasn't it yeah and I think the, the the worrying thing and the main talking point has again gone back to Alexis Sanchez and Meza Ozil and particularly Sanchez who you know had half a team celebrate a crucial goal with him at Crystal Palace it's just you know is is that something worth looking into or is that just just the way it is not for me I just think you've got to get on with it there's, there's, there's going to be sort of <laughs> people who don't like one another in, in squads and I don't really think it matters who celebrates with who ultimately it's about the result and as long as when you cross the white line you, you're putting your all in I, I just I don't, I, don't, I don't really see an issue there's footballers often taught once they've retired that there was players in the squad that they just didn't like and you I mean I appreciate that we used to play 11 aside and there were some people I hated probably the other 10 players well there you go um, <laughs> including you yeah so so I, I just think people read too much into these things I think that Sanchez 
may well be off in January. It depends whether Arsenal want to take the 30, 40 million that's been discussed or whether they'd rather wait until the summer and just sort of let him go for free. Who knows? You'd be absolutely mental to pay that much money now, wouldn't you? Well, yes, because you just wonder how much of a difference he's made to their season so far. Probably not a huge amount. Um, And is he going to be the difference between them qualifying for the Champions League? Is that going to bring in the revenue that would replace any potential transfer fee? Um, That's what they've got to weigh up. I I, I think that they should cut the losses and get rid of And the word to sum up their first half of the season is typically Arsenal as well. Frustrating. Yes, indeed. Um, A team that haven't been frustrating though. A team that have had a pretty incredible season so far is Burnley. And um, obviously they've lost a couple of games over the Christmas period. Lost lost tight games as well. Um, one against Liverpool, and um, then they got a really credible draw against Manchester United. Yes, they were two 0 up, but Sean Dyche said afterwards he was really pleased with them in that game. And I think that you look at the positivity that he's able to instill in that squad, regardless of the result, is is really important for the way that they um, go about the matches that they play. And they don't allow losses to to get them down too much in the same way they don't allow victories to get them up too much and he's incredibly realistic um i think that they they may have wanted to be higher at this stage given the start that they had but i think they've got to settle for seventh haven't they absolutely their target at the start of the season surely would have been to stay up and you know potentially looking at that kind of upper mid you know lower mid table type thing and you know not necessarily setting too much target above that but as you say you know, they've had such a good start that they possibly would have wanted a little bit more from this. But seventh in the table is uh, is no main feat. And, you know, when you're looking at staying up as your main goal, anything above that is a bonus. And to be in that top half of the table is is fantastic. And the word to sum them up, I would say workmanlike. Yes, absolutely. They and have played very good football, though. You have to give them credit. They have. And they do just work hard. One more thing before we move on. I think that what something that's been key to their season is that when a player's got injured, whoever's come in has deputised incredibly yeah, well. Um, when Chris Wood's been injured, Ashley Barnes has stepped in and been able to score goals at crucial times. And um, they've had defensive frailties as well where players have gone out, but, but straight away there's somebody ready to step into the breach. So to have such a good team spirit off the pitch has obviously affected what they're doing on it. Absolutely. We're now moving on to eighth place Leicester. And other than beating uh, Huddersfield 3-0 and a a last-minute equaliser against Manchester United, there's not too much to talk about. They've had Adrian Silva finally signed after he missed the deadline in August, transfer window. Uh, He made his debut the other day coming off the bench. And I think the other transfer saga that may run on over the next few weeks is uh, Riyad Mahrez. Yeah, I think that with Mahrez, he's obviously in a position where he can play in the Champions League. He's, He's not cup tied and um, therefore it wouldn't surprise me to see a club from a different country come in and take him I don't think that he'll go to a top floor club in England because you look at the attacking talent that they tend to have in the position that he plays and there's not necessarily anywhere that he's going to be able to go and be guaranteed first team football Um, I think that Leicester would do well just to let him go and reinvest that money but if the money's not going to be reinvested then by all means keep him to the summer and and go again then because he will get a move he's uh, one of these players similar to to Coutinho who has got his head down worked really hard yep. and hasn't sort of thrown his toys out yeah just my only worry would be that he might struggle being a smaller fish in a big pond you look at someone like Wilfred Zahara and I think when he went to Manchester United it probably wasn't the right time for him or the club um, but you see how well suited he is at Crystal Palace so potentially there's that with Mahrez as well they've got to be careful the the style of football that he goes into as well because he works in a counter-attacking team you yep. wonder whether he would work well in a Manchester City in a in an Arsenal who tend to build up very slowly I'm not sure that his attributes would be used correctly there and um, probably something worth considering for, for anyone who's interested in him Absolutely and the word I, I, I wanted to use to sum up the first half of their season was vintage and that's a two year vintage because some of the football they've played certainly under Puel is reminiscent of when they won the league a couple of years ago It's a very good point, yep I don't want to talk about Claude Puel, I'm very happy for him <laughs> um, but I wish he was still at Southampton Another club that changed their manager, it's uh, Everton. And uh, just a ridiculous start to the season they made. And, you know, with the squad that they've got and the signings they made in the summer, they, they should have been a lot higher. And now they're in the top half of the table, which is uh, it's crazy to think, really. Yeah, and they've had an indifferent sort of Christmas as well, haven't they? Yeah. Um, they've had two nil-nil draws against Everton and West Brom, and then they've lost 
One game at Manchester, uh, home to Manchester United, which you would expect, but then the away defeat at Bournemouth, I think, will be particularly disappointing yeah. from Sam Allardyce's point of view because you almost thought they'd turn a corner. Um, and not, their league position would suggest that they have done, but they're still not a million miles away from a group of teams who will be looking over their shoulder. So I, th- I think there's work to do there. I think that they've been linked heavily with um, Saint Tosic yeah. from. Uh, is he at Besiktas? He is indeed. And um, that would be a, a, a massive sign of them because goals they've struggled to come by and um, when Wayne Rooney's been out of the team you, you haven't really had anyone who's stepped up to the mark so if they could bring him in then that would signify an upturn potentially in their fortunes but um, Allardyce will splash the cash in January I've got no doubt Absolutely and they've also got Balassi to come back which I'm really looking forward to and the words sum up them I think I said it before ridiculous just a ridiculous season so far and finally Watford in 10th position and it's fair to say they've been really good this season in spells and really bad in spells and I think this uh, Christmas period probably sums that up as well. Yeah I think that Marco Silva made an amazing start to the season and and, and everyone was sort of linking him to jobs that you never thought he'd be linked with this early in his career and then they did have a bit of a blip and they they've been quite streaky they've they've won games on the bounce and then then lost a few on the bounce and that's why probably being in 10th suits them down to the ground I think that Christmas hasn't been the greatest for them, as you say, and uh, obviously losing at home to Swansea is something that you would never have expected, especially yeah. when they were 1-0 up with, I think, two minutes to go. Um, and then, obviously, they've they've lost again at Brighton and, and, and lost against City and Leicester. So, to pick up nothing from a Christmas period on paper looks terrible, but then you look back at the league table and you think, well, it's not not actually all bad. I think that they will be looking over their shoulder rather than, than up, and I think that if you looked four weeks ago, it would have been the other way around. So they have got work to do. They'll obviously do some sort of business in January because that club is transfer-centric, but I think if they can hold on to Silver and um, he's there by the end of the season, I think they'll finish top 10. And given the dreadful disciplinary record they've had this season, the word that sums the first half of their season up, Nasty. Absolutely. And that's it. That's the first 10. It is. All summed up very nicely. Now, if you would love to join us after this break, we'd like to talk to you about the Championship and then we'll get back on to the Premier League bottom 10. FA Cup. Herrera, what type of midfielder is Herrera? He's not a box-to-box. He's not defensive. He can't do a fucking killer pass. Why is he on the fucking pitch for for what? Is he part of a lot of deadwood that we need to get rid of? Of course he fucking is. There's a lot of fucking dead without getting fucking gone. See him come here and fucking boss us at Old Trafford. This is Man United you're talking about. See him come here and fucking boss us. We've heaved it. Rojo, we got lucky on the fucking goal. What has he? What was his tactics? As soon as you get Rojo, just fucking boo it. We're not fucking stoke. We're man fucking United here. We should be battling fucking there. That was diabolical out there. Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast and we're going to have a quick roundup of the championship from this festive period. And I think there's probably only one place to start and that's Wolverhampton Wanderers who look nailed on to go up having had some fantastic wins over the festive period including a last minute win against promotion chasing Bristol City who we will get on to shortly. It will take a hell of a lot to stop them now and you wouldn't be surprised they even spend a little bit more money in the transfer window to further bolster that unstoppable force that they are at the moment. And in second place currently is a much improved Derby County and they're really impressed and it's an unbeaten period that obviously takes them into second with wins against Millwall at home and Ipswich away and a really credible draw against Sheffield United and, and you know a really indifferent Hull side but they've been much improved and, and they've made the most of the slips from the side around them as well. Cardiff, for instance, they've lost the last four. Bristol City lost to Wolves, and they're also embarrassed by my beloved Aston Villa, who now sit in fifth place. And five was the magic number on New Year's Day when we won five nil against them, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. No one really expected it, and you know, we—it's difficult because if you look around the forums and and speak to some of the fans that are going at the moment, they're really disappointed with the tactics. Um, and there's a bit of an omen in there, isn't there? There is an omen indeed. Win. It was. Uh, Last time we won 5 0 on New Year's Day, we were promoted in the 87 88 season. So you never know, you never know. But as I say, that indifference at the moment from the fans with the way that we're playing, and I think a 5 0 win potentially papers over the cracks. A win against Middlesbrough away is nothing to be sniffed at, but the couple of abject performances against Brentford and Sheffield United before then are just signs that there's still you know worries to be had there. But 
That said, I can't complain we're in fifth at Christmas. I know, you're, you're in fifth at Christmas. You just won 5-0 against the team <laughs> in the playoffs and you're moaning. I'm more confident than a lot of other fans. There's a lot of fans that still want Bruce out. Get on with shocking. it. Get on with it. Shocking indeed. Um, and then on to Middlesbrough. They've got themselves a new manager. Uh, it's quite shocked to see them and Sheffield Wednesday both sat their managers after uh, after they played each other. And Tony Pulis is in the dugout. And I'd say that's somewhat of a coup in this league. I would agree. I think that Steve Gibson's a massive pull for uh, yeah. for any manager going into Middlesbrough. I think that Pulis will look at the stability that he'll have there and uh, the relationship that he'll have with the chairman. And, and yeah, you can you can almost see him turning Middlesbrough into a stoke, can't you? Yeah, um, absolutely. Once he gets them up there, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise you to, to see him stay there a while and um, and potentially establish them again in the top flight. Absolutely. I would not be surprised seeing the playoff places at the end of the season. Meanwhile, Fulham as well, they're showing some consistency and unbeaten in the last four and they've they've really needed that. They've had a poor start to the season by their standards and they did it last year. After Christmas, they pushed on and they got themselves up there. Yeah, I've been keeping an eye on Fulham because we've got them in the cup away on Saturday and um, I think they scored four goals in seven minutes last night, um, which is more than we've scored in most months. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they'll definitely be one to watch out for in the new year. And I think another one as well, Brentford and Preston, they've only lost one in the last five as well. So, you know, it's very, very tight up there. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting second half of the season. And there's probably, you know, nine, ten clubs that could realistically be there and thereabouts at the end of the year. But I think if we look at the other end of the table, Reading, quite surprisingly, on a terrible run, they've not won in the last five, I think. Hull are still struggling with the new manager in place. Barnsley have had a poor festive period and they've got new owners now. So I think a lot of expectation around them to certainly stay in the division. And Sunderland, just inconsistent. They've had a couple of wins. They've had some losses and potentially wins and losses that you wouldn't expect either way. No, Sunderland are bottom of the league now. They dropped to bottom of the league after uh, Birmingham's victory away at Reading last night. And psychologically, you wonder how much of a difference that will make being lower down than when Chris Coleman took over. Yeah, potentially. But... Birmingham, as you say, they've picked up a couple of wins now, but still in the relegation zone, unfortunately, for them. And again, down there, there's a number of clubs. I think there's probably six or seven points between five or six clubs. So it's it's very, very tight. And as ever, the championship is the entertaining league. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, what do you reckon? Do you reckon you'll get out of it? What's your uh, your long-term prediction? Or Are you just going to stick with playoffs, or do you think you can get that no, second I, spot behind Wolves? I still think playoffs. I think Wolves will go up automatically. And I genuinely have no, no idea on the second place one. I think Fulham will get in there in the end. I think we'll be in there. I think Derby will be in there. Um, and I think it's anyone for that second place. And then the last playoff place, you would say Cardiff, but dropping like a stone at the moment. They are indeed. Neil Warnock, not very happy at all. Not at all. But join us after the break, where we may find out who will join the Championship next year with the bottom 10 of the Premier League roundup. Get in there! Well done, he's 13. Game set and match Owen. Welcome back to the third part of this week's Sweeper podcast and it's time to talk about the bottom 10 of the Premier League and top of the bottom half in their first season in the top flight for a long time. What does Field Town? I'm absolutely delighted they're sat in 11th place. It's a massive credit to them. We, we, we give them a glowing reference every single week, don't we? I think it helps that we're close by, but equally, it's so exciting to watch them every single week and they've not had the best of Christmas periods they've had a draw against Southampton Stoke and Burnley but that's still three points and you know some consistency that they will cherish yeah they've not won games but they've not lost any ground in fact they've made ground on the on the teams around them because a lot of teams have played one another in the bottom half over the festive period and Huddersfield have managed to move themselves up to 11th and I think it's massive when you look at players who they may or may not be able to sign in January you look at a Premier League team in 11th place and you think, well, yeah, I'll go there because there's absolutely no reason not to. You would have thought they'll definitely be in the Premier League next season. They probably only need to pick up another four wins to guarantee yeah. being in there. And with 16 games to go, you'd, you'd sort of fancy them to do that. I think there might be 17 games to go. And you just look at them and look at Newcastle and look at Brighton. They're all out of the relegation zone. They're proving a lot of people wrong. Um, and long may it continue. Absolutely, and you know, as you say about Huddersfield, they've just signed a new player already in this window. Terence Congola from Monaco on loan, and I'll be honest, don't really know a lot about him, but it's a 23-year-old defender with caps for Holland and a big money move from Holland to France as well. So you would say that that's a potentially exciting 
signing, but as you say, one that they possibly wouldn't have made before this season. Yeah, with respect to Huddersfield, I mean, you've not heard of Terence Congolo or you don't know a lot about him. Yeah. You would have thought before this season, he probably didn't know a huge amount about them. Yeah. David Wagner came out and spoke about the fact that they'd been tracking him for a long time but weren't able to get him in. Um, now they've, they've been able to do that. And it's the pull of the Premier League like we talk about every week. Um, first word to... Sorry, the one word to sum up Huddersfield's first half of the season? Dreamy. <laughs> Jesus, you love Huddersfield, don't you? I do love Huddersfield. I like Brighton, but maybe not as much as Huddersfield. But again, very good season so far. And a loss against Chelsea, but a win against Watford and draws against Newcastle and Bournemouth. Nothing to be sniffed at. And they'll be absolutely over the moon when the start they've made in the top flight as well. They will indeed. I think that they will look to strengthen in January. I know that they've they've tried to keep with the majority of the same squad. And in players like Pascal Gross, in Davy Proper, in Glenn Murray, they've been incredibly consistent. But then you look at the likes of Knockhart and Izquierdo, who got a couple of assists um, in their game against Bournemouth the other day. Those guys haven't been as consistent as Brighton might have liked. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Chris Hutton go into the transfer market. I know that they've been linked heavily with um, Moussa Dembele from from Celtic over over the last week or so and if they want to get him in it's going to cost them 20 million that'd be huge if they went and did that and it would really show the ambition that they've got to stay in the Premier League um they're in a bit of a sort of situation at the moment where it, it could obviously go one or two ways and you would have thought that by bringing in a 20 million pound player that's only going to strengthen their um grip on 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 staying in that division and if Chris Hewton can repeat the same um set of results for for the next half of the season they'll be they'll be absolutely fine and I, I don't think they'll go down no absolutely I think you know we, we could see them in the Premier League again next season and potentially quite comfortably as well and again you know we talk about how many sides probably put this season as their main goal just to stay up and they could massively surpass that and them Huddersfield both exactly the same and credit where credit's due for both of them yeah, I mean, we've we've gone with solid as the yeah. uh, the one word to sum up the first half of the season. I think if you'd have offered either of those clubs 17th to start of the season, they would have snapped your hand off, of um, and they're in 11th and 12th. So it just shows the uh, the hard work that's gone in, both on and off the put- pitch at those clubs. And the third of the promoted teams as well sat just behind them, Newcastle. Um, a couple of great results with wins against West Ham and Stoke, and it's unfortunately still the off-field issues that have probably blighted their season and you know they desperately need to be sold and it's not looking like there'll be much investment over the next month or so as well well I, I heard something on the radio the other day if the takeover was to go through today it would take until the end of February to be ratified because it's got to go through the Premier League um, fit and proper persons test and there's all of the the paperwork and legalities that that, that you would have to to go through to get it done so realistically um, if there's going to be investment into the team now there's either going to have to be some sort of stipulation in that contract that that money's paid back as part of the takeover or there's not going to be any because we all know what Mike Ashley's like and if he's trying to get a price for a football club then he's not going to put any more of his own money and I think that the issue for Newcastle is if they go down they will be worth in the region of 100 million they stay up they're worth between 250 and 300 and we've talked about how good Rafa is at not allowing the off-pitch issues to affect the team I think it's got to a stage now where you talk about Newcastle you talk about off the pitch issues and that's not what you want and Benitez has done his best to try and deflect a lot of the pressure away from his players Um, but those two things hand in hand haven't helped at all and I think that he would be over the moon if it was concluded sooner rather than later now it might be that Mike Ashley says do you know what I'm not going to do anything until the summer and I'm going to wait until the team are in a better position. But then the issue that he's got is that if they do go down, he's going to lose a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. So they're in a bit of a catch-22 at the moment, Newcastle. And I think that that away win at Stoke over the Christmas period papers over the cracks. Um, I think that they may well struggle if they keep that same squad because I don't think there's enough strength in depth. And one win kind of gives them a bit of a false position. I know that there's no such thing in the Premier League, but when you look at their form of late... It's worrying. Yeah, I, I was going to say, actually, the wins that they seem to pick up seem to be like times where you say the pressure's really on and they kind of get that win and, as you say, it papers over the cracks and some clubs manage to do that, some don't. Obviously, we'll move on to, to, to Stoke, who, who managed to do it kind of once a few weeks ago. And, yeah, it's just that with Newcastle, it, it is constantly just, oh, actually, they'll be okay and then all of a sudden they're back into it again. And I think that word to sum up the first half of the season come for sportsdirect.com not technically one word no but it's definitely something synonymous with the with the geordies that's for sure indeed and crystal palace 
much like Everton. It's a bit of a shocker that they managed to be so far at the table after a frankly abysmal start to the season they made. And again, it's a former England manager that saved them. And what a job Roy has done. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they won at Southampton last night and it's still very raw for me. But the, uh, the difference between Palace from the first five or six games under De Boer and the difference between them now under Hodgson it, it, it is crazy the the amount of work that he must have done on the training pitch because he's got exactly the same players other than Zahar who I know has come back from injury um, but then they obviously paid a lot of money in the summer and, and, and signed Sacco and they lost him very early they've lost Scott Dan as well He's yeah. he's got a season ending injury and um, there must be money for them to to strengthen in January. You would have thought that Hodgson would have come in and sort of stipulated that he wanted funds to to go out and buy players that he trusts in January. And he won't spend that in the wrong way. He'll go out and get somebody that that he knows can do a job in that team. And um, if they can keep the likes of Zaha fit, if they can keep Townsend fit, um, then they'll be up there. They'll uh, they'll they'll definitely be sort of top of the bottom half because they're they're able to play in two different ways. Palace they'll they'll press you at home. Um, like they did in the City game yep. but then they'll sit off away from home and they'll exploit the space on the uh, on the counter-attack because they have so much pace and, and ability to do so so I, th- I think you've got to hold your hands up and a lot of people when Roy Hodgson went in there thought that that would be the final nail in the Palace coffin and, and, th- and they'd be down but he just showed what a safe pair of hands he is and you know what he might not ever do anything other than keep teams in the Premier League but it's not easy No it's not at all and you know the word that sums it up Remarkable, and I think that's probably fair enough. I think that reflects on everything you've just said. Bournemouth, some positive results for the ever inconsistent Cherries. Draws against West Ham and Brighton, a crucial win against Everton. I've seen them pick points up. There's still worries with them, given how up and down they are this season. Yeah, I think that Eddie Howe's one of those managers who who doesn't let an awful lot of pressure get to him, and and the teams that he selects are teams that he believes can go out and win every single match of football. And sometimes that's a little bit naive and. Um, I think you've got to take your medicine on occasions and and realise that you're playing against teams with more quality and in their in their playing squads and and you've seen it of late with the with the home results of Liverpool. You look at the way that they de- they dealt with Liverpool last season and um, they obviously were three 0 down at the t- time, came back to win four three, and I think that he almost thought to himself, well, they've not changed a huge amount in terms of personnel, um, nor have we. I'm just going to set up the same way and and obviously they came away with a massive away win. The the issue that, that Bournemouth will, will always have is unless they do something about the size of their stadium, they're always going to be in and around that area of the Premier League. And you can spend decent amounts on transfer fees, as they did in the summer. You can, you can pay decent wages, but you can't have a long-term plan when your average crowd on a weekly basis is around 10,000. And um, unless they take the step to either expand their current stadium or they move to a new one I think they'll always find themselves in this sort of position in the Premier League and um, yes teams will defy expectations in terms of the stadium but you look at every other team in the Premier League and pretty much everyone's got much bigger stadiums than than, than Bournemouth and I think that that's something that they need to look at because on the pitch they've struggled for, for, for consistency there's been a lot going on off the pitch for them as well and you just wonder at what point they're going to get to where they don't have the uh, the sort of team spirit in that squad to keep going because they have struggled at times this season. We've 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 seen that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think important point there about the the long term view. I think you only have to look at the biggest signing of this summer, Jermaine Defoe. That's not really a long term, despite the fact that he was on like a three three year contract. I think it was I think. a three year. Yeah, yeah. That's not that long term. Looking at someone that age and the position that he plays to push them up. Yeah, I just wonder what the plan is with Bournemouth. I know that they've. Manage, I think what they must be in their third, third fourth, or fourth. Yeah. Uh, most clubs have this sort of five year plan where um, Bournemouth probably will have been for the first five years we want to stick where we are in the Premier League if we can survive every year then, then, then we'll be happy but it'll just be interesting to see what they look to do because you look at the likes of Southampton Stoke West Brom Swansea teams who've tried to almost change their identity over the last five or six years um, and you look where they are in the league table now and you just wonder whether with Bournemouth are they better just being the perennial relegation fighters and and, and sort of having their head above water. I know they had a top ten season, uh, top ten finish last season, but that was very close and clustered. Um, this season it's looking the same. So sometimes the league position doesn't always tell the full story, and it'll be interesting to see how they get on for the rest of the season. 
Yes, and the word we've gone for with them is inconsistent. I think that's probably probably bang on for them. West Ham, quite inconsistent as well. A loss at home to Newcastle and a three-all draw away at Bournemouth will be seen as disappointments. However, win at home to West Brom sees a little positivity for 2018 after a, just a really poor start to the season all round, really. Yeah, I I think last night's win um, changes my perspective a little bit um, in terms of the way that we approach this because if they'd have been third bottom last night and they'd have got a draw against a West Brom team who've really struggled to pick up any points away from home this season, you would have possibly been a little bit more negative about them. But then you look at the last six results and you think there's definitely performances in there and there's players who Moy seems to have got a lot more out of than Bilic was able to do. With Carroll fit, they'll stay in the league because I think he offers yeah. a dimension that no other team's got. Um, but their issue has always been keeping him fit and he'll go on a couple of run or one run a season where he'll score a few goals and people will talk his chances up and then he'll either get sent off or he'll pick up an injury and um, he could be pivotal to their season. I think that Moyes um, is, is probably a popular figure in there. I don't think that a lot of the players were that kind to Slaven Bilic. Well, I was going to say about Moyes, I'd say he deserves a little bit of credit. I don't think anyone necessarily expected him to do as good a job as he has done. I think he's had um, his reputation tarnished after the last few jobs that he's had. And I think with West Ham, he obviously saw some very, very simple things to go in and change. And even then, you still wondered whether he was the man to go and just inspire them to do that a little bit more, given the fact they are a good enough squad. Yeah, and he's done the simple things, hasn't he? Yeah. He's, he's, he's worked on fitness, which is massive in the Premier League because there are so many players who are who are incredibly fit and, and if you're unable to compete with that level week in week out you're not going to get results the difference between Sunderland and West Ham just staying on the Moyes thing briefly is that when he went to Sunderland there was a club with a losing mentality a club with um, real off the field issues and a club devoid of a huge amount of quality in their playing squad West Ham have got decent players they, they've they've spent big money and they've got players there that, that shouldn't be in the bottom half of the Premier League um, steadily he's building something there and um, again and I, and I know it's, it's it's really difficult but they're almost one, one win away from looking up but one defeat away from being back in that bottom three yeah, so the next couple of games will be pivotal and I think that the FA Cup game really for them comes at the wrong time I think they would have preferred to go bouncing straight back into a league game and I know that they've got Spurs on, on Thursday night away from home but that's not necessarily the one that you'd look to 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 sort of win and the, the word that I would use to sum up the first half of the season and this is a, over the whole of the first half is lazy they look very very lazy but there is a steely determination they kind of have now that should I would say see them through with relative ease do you want to talk about Southampton oh we're going to have to aren't we let's just touch over it let's not get you too upset about it crept down the table relatively quietly I have to say even you know doing this every week and speaking to you so often you kind of look at the table and it's still a surprise to see where where you're currently sat and other than the draw at Old Trafford there's really very little to shout about I the only sort of positive that I've got at the moment is the fact that if we'd have won last night and we were well on the way to winning um, if we'd have held on to that win we would have been 11th so that just shows how tight it is down there it's not like we're 17th and we're cut adrift as as four teams and we're going to have to fight it out between those four teams to stay up because I think if we did we wouldn't get out of it Um, the issue that we've got is we've got a manager in charge who doesn't know his best team and we are over halfway through the season he drops players who play well he doesn't play the goal scorers and it's almost like he can't see the obvious things there's a lot of issues off the field at the club and the chairman came out yesterday and said that the Van Dyke saga has been a massive cloud over the club for the first half of the season I just think he's looking for something to blame Um, Virgil van Dyke played and I use that word in the loosest sense (laughs) in in, in some games for us in the first half of the season but he's still at 50% as good as the majority of defenders in that area of the Premier League so I don't think that you can blame him or the situation for the predicament that we find ourselves in I think something needs to change and I'm not usually one of these people who wants to see a change in manager. The only reason that I wanted Claude Puel to leave last year was because I think we'd become a bit spoilt really. We'd finished um, sixth the season before with Ronald Koeman, eighth the season before that um, and it was almost like 
we thought that we had a divine right to be up there. But actually, when you look at it, eight in a cup final is unbelievable for um, a team and a squad of the quality that we had. The the issue is that the manager doesn't necessarily know what he's doing with the playing squad that he's got, and and I think he needs to go. Um, and like I say, I don't often say that it. it it does sort of take a lot because generally I'll I'll try and back a manager as much as possible. But I think that we need somebody a bit like Allardyce to come in and, and, and just to really give that squad a, a real sort of kicking because we've got no leaders in the team. Um, the only player who was any real quality last year, Oriol Romeo's looked an absolute shadow of his former self. And the the players that we brought in the, in the summer should be more than good enough to come in and play in this team, but they're just not, they're just not there. So, if we reinvest the Van Dyke money well and um, we change the manager, I think we'll be okay. But I am seriously worried. Well, that sums it up then, doesn't it? Worrying. Worrying times ahead, potentially. But we shall wait and see. Also potentially quite worrying for Stoke City. And there's a big win at home to West Brom, which saw a chink of light in a very, very dark tunnel. But since then, pretty much been covered up again. Very worrying times for them. And they seem to be breaking that managerial sacking trend and keeping some sort of faith in Marquis. And I don't know how long that's going to last. There are rumours circulating that he could be off kind of by the end of the week. I think they're potentially just looking at getting that replacement in. And I'm not sure Roberto Mancini, the current favourite, is necessarily the right man for the job. I'm surprised that he's the favourite because Stoke tend to go for English managers or, or certainly British managers. And it would be um, a real sort of sort of book of the trend yeah. if they were to go for Mancini I think Stoke when they uh, beat West Brom at home uh, in that huge game the yeah. biggest game they've ever had um, and then they got the point away at Huddersfield you thought actually they might be alright here but then I think the way that they approached that Chelsea game was wrong um, to play those players that he played in that in in that game wasn't necessarily the the wrong way about it but I think he set them up wrong I think if you're going to go there and you know that you're going to get beat then just go with a bank a bank of five yep. and a bank of four and then stick one one person up front and they they didn't do that I think that the the issue that you've then got is it puts a huge amount of pressure on the Newcastle game and the players weren't able to cope with that and obviously Newcastle then winning just puts them in in real real trouble and I don't know if Mark Hughes is going to go or not. It would be very, very, very interesting to see him stay because, like you say, it would almost ignore the way that most clubs yeah. do it. And also the the way that some clubs have turned themselves around by employing new managers will make a massive difference. And, and, and Stoke have got to weigh up that balance. If there's nobody better than Hughes out there at the moment, which there might not be because Moyes has gone, Allardyce has gone, Pardew has gone... Yeah. Then that might be the reason that they're keeping him in there. Um, but I think he's he's in a real sort of state of execution for the time being, and I hope Stoke get out of it because we've uh, obviously got got friends who support them, and and they're a good football club, and I and I hope that that, that they don't go down. But I think they're uh, they're struggling big time. But you know, I think the word that sums that up is is underwhelming. They have been extremely underwhelming this season, and you just yeah, you have to be worried for them at the moment. You have to also be worried for West Brom. Again, a, a different trend with managers is that new manager bounce, and particularly with Pardew, that's what you generally come to expect from him is a is a bounce and some really good results and a good start that almost sees you through. And yeah, that's well and truly a myth now, and it's going to take a hell of a lot for him to get this team out of danger. I think it's it's twenty one games since they've yeah. won. Um, so you just realise that the confidence is absolutely shot there. And if they'd have been able to hold on to a point against West Ham last night, then they could have built on something. I think that. Pardew's struggling a lot with the uh, the inconsistencies of the squad that he has because he's on paper got decent players there but they're just not performing and um, he'll look to spend money in January. He's a very streaky manager and he can he can sometimes go on um, a run of five or six wins and I think they're going to need at least that to stay up. So given the fact they've not won in 21, to ask for five or six from the next 15, I, I, I think they're down. They're in real trouble, and obviously we we saw Pardew with his dance in the FA Cup final. I think by the end of this season it could be a very slow dance, and that's how we're going to sum up the first half of their season. And there's one club left, Swansea City, and Paul Clement went just before Christmas, which was absolutely massive, and they went for Carlos Carvajal from Sheffield Wednesday, and it's a huge gamble at this stage of the season, given the position they're in. 
Yeah, but he started well, didn't he? he did. Um, I mean, a 2-1 way, a 2-1 win away at Watford's massive, and you almost think if they'd have lost that game, which they looked like they were yeah. destined to do with a couple of minutes left, then that could have been season-ending because I think the gap between them and the, the team fourth-bottom would have been about six points. And it's difficult when you're not winning games to try and put two wins on the bounce and hope that, that nothing happens above you. The the likelihood is that, that Carvajal will know players that he can bring in in January. He's got a lot of experience in and around Europe and um, you would have thought that Swansea would have a decent scouting network who have been trying to build up a, a profile of people that they want to bring in because their current playing squad simply isn't good enough. Wilfred Boney's not been good enough. Tammy Abraham's not been good enough. Um, and, and it's really tough on him because he's come in and he's had a huge amount of pressure go on his shoulders and you just wonder whether that was the right move, whether he should have maybe had another season with a, a team looking to get promoted from the Championship and, and, and maybe Chelsea need to take a little bit of blame for that. It's very similar to Marco Silva with Hull last season though, isn't it? You know, he, he took He took that gamble to go to that club and you know forge his reputation he's managed to get another job he's been touted for other jobs as well so you know potentially he looks at something like that and just thinks do you know what let's just give it a crack Swansea are in a lot of trouble if I can't get them out it doesn't necessarily reflect on me if I show something some character that at least gives them a little bit of fight and effort to do so potentially that does reflect well on him I think one of the things that may work in Swansea's favour is their experience in this position I think you know, Aston Villa showed that, Sunderland showed that over a few seasons of really struggling, they did manage to get themselves out of that. And I worry for teams like Stoke and, and Southampton as well that they haven't necessarily got that experience in recent years that that may count against them, not necessarily knowing how to be in that position. Yeah, possibly. For me, the, the most important thing is points on the board. And, and, and I agree, I think that experience will play a part in that. But if I was to... If I were to put a bet on now, um, and I know it's it's very easy to say, but I, I think Swansea and West Brom are gone. I think those two are down. And, and, and to be honest, despite the fact that I've just said that, I believe that yeah, also. Um, but I understand your point, but I, I know it's, it's easy to say that given the fact that they're 19th and 20th in the league, but I just don't see that they've got enough currently. Yeah. Unless they have a massive transfer window, then, then, then fine, possibly. Um, but Hull had a massive transfer window last January. They brought in some players with real quality... And they still went down. Um, and you just you just wonder who it's going to be. It's going to be, for me, it's going to be those two and then one from potentially five or six clubs. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's for sure going to be an interesting end to the season. And I am just hoping and praying that we are not sat here in May talking about an away trip to Shrewsbury for the, for, for the Saints <laughs> next season. I would imagine you'll be fine because... As we say, West Brom and Swansea, I think, are really struggling. And I wouldn't be surprised to see one of the promoted teams from last year get dragged into it a little bit. But, yeah, West Brom and Swansea. And Swansea, to sum them up in one word, rubbish. Come on, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want a prediction. Who's the other one that's going down? I will go for... I can't see past Stoke at the minute, to be honest, unless anything major changes. You? Uh, I don't... I really don't have a clue. Um... I'm going to go with Bournemouth. Yeah, I, I think I think both of those could be in big trouble. I think if you look at Stoke and Bournemouth at the moment, not a lot's changing. And uh, I think, you know, with that in mind and the changes that are happening around them, potentially that's the key difference. Absolutely. Well, join us after the break. And it's time for the first quiz of 2018. And Mitch is in the hot seat with a chance to add to his ever-growing points tally. Nobody knows it, but you've got a secret quiz. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast, and it's time for the quiz. But there's something more important to talk about than our quiz. Well, yeah, there is. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of our quiz. It is very um, much our quiz. But on a larger scale. It's yes. not It's not two lads sat quizzing one another, just the two of them. It's, well, hopefully not. It, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, we've had some interest, haven't we? It's yes. the uh, It's the 2nd of February is our quiz, and it's a Friday night this time, so we're expecting hopefully a few more down down there than, than we had last time. But we we had a good time first time around, didn't we? we did. I, I think we've we've potentially got double the tables available that we had last time um, and there's about six or seven remaining I think we've got 
a similar sort of number already confirmed. So the pot's going to be a lot bigger. There's going to yep. be more people there, and obviously there's a chance to have a bit more of a of a night of it with it being a Friday. Uh, it's it's at the same venue. It's at Leeds Beckett University. Uh, that's just opposite the Dry Dock in Leeds City Centre, and I think we'll probably kick off at a similar time. It'll be doors around sort of half six, seven, and then yep. the quiz will probably start at eight o'clock. And the maximum number of uh, members of a team is six. And if you would like to get in contact with us to let us know that you want to reserve a table, then you can do so at the following. On Twitter at The Sweeper Pod, Instagram and Facebook, The Sweeper Podcast, or you can email us at thesweeperpodcast at gmail.com. And obviously, while we're on getting in touch with us, iTunes and SoundCloud to listen. And of course, subscribe on iTunes, rate and review. Five stars would be absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was nice to see. There was quite a few of the episodes. We we get notifications when people listen to certain episodes, and we had we, we had quite a few over the festive period where people had sort of gone back and listened to old episodes. And our hope would be that the quality's improved over the last twenty two. Bloody hope so. Yeah. But it will give you an opportunity to tell us how crap it is to our face <laughs> at, at the quiz if you're not enjoying it. But but yeah, we hope to see some of you there. Anyway, back to our quiz. The scores on the 2018 doors are. 14 for Michael, 13 for myself. Oh, that's nearly as many Premier League points as Southampton have got. So it's more than Villa, isn't it? So don't worry about it, mate. We're going to kick off with the same theme as last year because the feedback is that people are enjoying yeah. learning more ab- about, about different clubs. So five questions, five points on offer, and your team this week is Crystal Palace. Okay. I right. think you're going to like Let's these go. questions. Yep. First one, stadium capacity, as always, and give you a thousand either side. The stadium, obviously, is Selhurst Park. How many people does it seat? I will go for 27,200. Oh, my goodness me. The answer is 26,309. So you have a point. An Get early in there. Point. Number two, and I've had to amend this one slightly because I gave one of the answers away during the last <laughs> part of the show. So, Crystal Palace's three most expensive signings have all been brought in within the past two seasons. In no particular order, name them. However, I gave you Sacco right. in the previous discussion. So, I've moved down one. So, I want three of the four. But, obviously, you've already got Sacco. So, I want the other three out of the top four Crystal Palace record signings. Benteke? Christian Benteke is number one. And I will then go for Johan Kabai. Is incorrect. Uh, how many do I need to get? You got to get all three, but you got four guesses. Oh, shucks. Um, oh, I'm really struggling now, aren't I? I will go. Just think of who plays for Palace. I'm bloody thinking. Will Zahar. No, that's incorrect. I'm afraid. <sighs> thought they might have had to pay a little bit of money for him. I think they did, but it wasn't as much as Patrick Van Arnholt. Piss off, Van Arnholt. And uh, Andros Townsend. Oh, of course, yeah. All um, right, fair enough. So, one out of two so far. Who is Crystal Palace's most successful manager? Of all time. Of all time. Is this based on wins or trophies? Or? Um, they've never won a major trophy. Right. So, okay. it's based on um, where they finished in the league. Yeah. And where they got to in the cup. I will go for Steve Coppel. Steve Coppel is correct. Boom. Yep. So Steve Coppel took the club. Got more than one. You have. Steve Coppel took the club to an FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, They also finished third in the first division. And he won the full members cup. Whatever that is. You're a full member. Thank you very much for that. Uh, So Crystal Palace's highest finish in the Football League was third under... Aforementioned Steve yeah. Koppel. When was it? Nineteen ninety one. He's got three out of five. <laughs> Get in. Come on then. I'm speechless. I'm absolutely speechless. Um been doing some reading over Christmas. Yeah, so sorry, you've got got three out of four so far. Yep. Not 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 three out of five. You got a possibility of getting oh my god, you got a possibility of getting four out of five. Um right. Who is Crystal Palace's youngest ever player? And I'll tell you how old he was. He was 15 years and 287 days, and he made his debut against Watford on the 29th of October 2007. Very highly rated at the time as well. 15? Yep. 15 years, 287 days. I feel like it's going to be really obvious. Uh, it's not obvious. Not obvious, no. 
think he moved quite quickly to another Premier League team. Why am I giving you clues? You got three points. So was this in the Premier League that he made that appearance? Um, it was against Watford was on it? the 29th of October 2007. James Vaughan. James Vaughan is incorrect. No. The answer is John Bostock. Oh, um, and yeah. I think, if memory serves me right, he went to Spurs very yep. quickly afterwards. Yep. And um, then went to the graveyard of footballers, yeah. wherever that is. He's not dead, but no, he's, he's, just, not dead. he's just not playing anymore. But he's um, on the shitty. At the highest level. You're not in the shitty, though, are you? You've just got three points. I have. I've took a, a 16-14 lead. My New Year's resolution was to try and make the quiz easier. So I hope you're going to... Uh, so no. no no mine's no. to make it harder if anything okay wonderful all right thank you very much for that and thank you very much to our listeners it's been a pleasure to be back in 2018 and we're going to look forward to the rest of this season aren't we yeah and we'll see you in less than a week i think because obviously we're recording a bit later this week due to the uh the midweek fixtures so join us early doors next week for the latest episode and uh yeah get in touch like mitch shed and we'll look forward to seeing some of you at the quiz on the 2nd of february goodbye Yeah, goodbye, that's all I've got. Yeah!